Welcome to the podcast, Leading Change. I'm your host, Adam Christie. Today, our guest is a teacher, clinician, author, composer, adjudicator, and consultant. His career involves 10 years of successful college band directing at Northern Michigan State University, the University of Missouri, and New Mexico State University. He has written amazing books such as The Joy of Inspired Teaching and The Art of Successful Teaching. He is the co-author of Hal Leonard's popular BAM Method book series, Essential Elements. That's right. I said the Essential Element book series that you probably learned to learn an instrument when you first started. He is the authority on leadership in music education. He can be reached at www.attitudeconcepts.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Dr. Tim Lautzenheiser. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? You got any snow up there? Uh, just a little bit. It's it's melting away slowly. It's on its way. Um, Tim, what would you say is your definition of a leader? What is a leader to you? Um, well, Adam, my, my definition may be different than a lot of other people's. Um, I, and I, I, this is, this, this Robert Glazer quote is really spot on. It says leadership is not about what's important to you or about making you feel better. It's about the other person their desires, and their dreams. And perhaps most importantly, real leadership is about providing the support so that others can develop skills that will allow them to be independent, not dependent. So that's sort of my definition. So do you think that leadership has any selfish roots to it? I think systemic leadership, sometimes certainly the ego gets involved. And that doesn't, that's not to say, Adam, that systemic leadership is bad, but there's a lot of people that play into the game of I want to be da da da. Now I want to be, you know, and they play in that. And there's nothing wrong with that uh, as long as you use that posture to help other people. That makes sense. So with that, you when you say systemic leadership, you mm-hmm. mean those with it that leadership has a title to it, right? Well, yeah, and that's what most leadership is in schools. Um, you have various, uh, you know, I'm the I'm a teacher, I'm the department head, I'm the principal, I'm the superintendent. That's in the educational system, uh, in the corporate system where I live part of the time. It's president, vice president, director of and those labels. And somehow that slots you based on what your expectations are to deliver under those circumstances. Yeah. So how do you promote that leadership to those that do not have a title? Good question, my friend. Uh, I think everybody's a leader. You think everyone's a leader? Yes. I don't think you cannot not be a leader. I mean, you may be leading yourself to the refrigerator or leading yourself to school or leading yourself to go to bed. I mean, we're all leading ourselves somewhere. And in the whole leadership game has, um, it's like, we're going to slice off that top 10 or 15% and then we're going to put them in charge. Everybody's a leader. I mean, emptying the trash back basket may be the responsibility of some people. So yeah, I think everybody's a leader. 
What would you say has been your greatest challenge as a leader? Probably that to, to tame the ego, yeah, to tame the I-me so that all the focus and energy is going to create a better situation for the followers all the time. And, and, and that's, a, that's an ongoing balance because the ego drives us, right? It's what gives, gets us there in the first place. And then if we don't constantly monitor it, the I, me can take over the we, us pretty easily. I mean, we're human beings, we're, we're animals, we're survival creatures, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to let the instincts of that take over. Yeah, that's, that's the challenge all the time to keep that balance, I think. Mm-hmm. So how many years have you been teaching altogether? 51. I'll get it right one of these days, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever deal with um, going into, because you teach leadership and so you interact with these people that are outside of music. For Mm -hmm. some reason, it feels like people do not give teachers the credit as leaders that they deserve. Um, do you ever feel that like when you tell them you teach leadership and music, do they ever get kind of a raised eyebrow? <laughs> You're a musician. What, what's your instrument, by the way? What do you play? Um, I'm vocal primarily. Oh, phenomenal. It's even better. Um, well, then you know that uh, many times the arts, if you're not a part of them, are seen as an extra as opposed to you and I see them as a fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, I, and what was it? Who was it? That it's that I was a Plato said uh, the, the three things that you should teach. You should teach math because it's the basis of science. You should teach history. So you don't go back and make the same dumb mistakes your forefathers made and you should teach music. So there'd be a reason to live in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that was pretty cool because arts is arts is the expressive part, right? Um, so back to your question, which is a great question, by the way. Um, yeah, I think there's some of that. It usually comes from people who haven't stepped into that part of life and they're for themselves. Um, yeah, a little bit, but I don't know. I don't see it as much as I used to. I don't think. Uh, Why do you think that is? Where, where do you think that I've comes grown. from? It's probably still there. I've grown, um, and widened my margin of acceptance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we have to accept people for who they are instead of who we want them to be. Because if there's any chance of a change in anybody to make them better, I mean, as you well know, I mean, you're a music teacher. We can't change another person. We can create a forum for them to change if they choose to, but you can't change another person. So, you know, it's it's that idea of I'll make it as good as I can for you to grow if you choose to do that. You know, that's the game. The ball is in their court. Yeah, well, and you do it with your students all the time, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're always creating it to be better for them so that they want to be better, so they're intrinsically motivated to reach a higher level of their own potential. Yeah, for sure. What would you say has been your finest moment as a leader? Maybe it's right now. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't rate and rank things. Uh, I mean, things that are pleasurable are when you see your own students succeed 
or you see uh, something that, that you've done that's helped somebody else advance themselves. I mean, it, it's all about giving, right? Leadership is about giving. And it's, it's, it's for giving, and it's also forgiving, you know, when you put the word together. Uh, so seeing other people uh, realize what their, what their possibilities are, oh man, that's a rush, I think. I love that. I just love it. Yeah, that's probably the coolest thing. To, to me, teaching and leadership is interchangeable. Like when you say teaching is uh, forgiving, you know, leadership is forgiving. And yes. when you say it's also forgiving, um, yes. leadership and teaching are both forgiving. Yes. Um, it's, it's amazing to me how interchangeable they are. And yet... People do generally do not think of teachers as leaders per se, but if you look back at, you know, Martin Luther King or any of the great leaders of our day, they were teachers. They were teaching and leading at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, have you noticed that as well? Well, sure. I mean, you, Mohammed, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how deep in you want to go? Mother Teresa. Pope Francis, they're, they're all teachers. And the truth is, we're all teachers. And you know, people say, well, I'm not a teacher. Are you a parent? Well, yeah. Well, then you're a teacher. <laughs> you're teaching all the time. And even my corporate, one, I, I, I have the most wonderful colleagues in the world. And they'll go, well, you know, I got my degree in business. I go, well, aren't you teaching? Just like all teachers are salesmen. Hmm. We're selling what we believe in all the time. People go, oh, I don't want to be involved in sales. Well, that's what you're doing. And you're a conductor, right? Yeah. So you're selling those kids on, give me all you got for the expression and connection with the music. And yeah, all salesmen, all teachers. And, you know, then if you say, well, uh, p parents are teachers too. Well, then they're also leaders, you know, they're leading Absolutely. their kids. Absolutely. I don't think you can, you can pigeonhole it. Yeah. Because it's, it, well, you know, you're a teacher. Are you a parent too? Me? No. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Well, you got a dog. Uh, well, that, then I am a leader and okay. yeah, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. So you're working with your doggy all the time. Absolutely. What is a movie that you would say has been a, it's a great example of leadership that you really appreciate? Well, you know, I, I read that question. Very interesting question, by the way. It's a provocative almost, yeah. Uh, I love the mov movie Patton. I really did. Because I think everybody see, sees Patton as a stoic. And he was a gentle bear. He was a gentle bear who every time he made a decision and he was, he considered his, the individual people that it was going to impact. You know, maturity, <clears throat> maturity is the ability to understand how your behavior impacts other people, right? So the more mature you are, the more you figure out if I do this, it's going to cause that. And, and he was masterful at that. I mean, he, he won great, uh, not, they weren't even battles, they were movements because of his intellect and taking care of his people along the way. I love people like that. <laughs> You know, it seems like um, leadership is that X factor in a lot of programs, whether it's music or sports mm -hmm. or whatever. Leadership is that thing that really gets momentum moving. Um, and one of the things I found out when I came here uh, 
is that the students asked, you know, because I was trying to promote a leadership structure that was new to them. And so I was trying to promote leadership within. And one of the questions I kept getting that I was almost baffled at because to me it was so obvious, I didn't know quite how you explain what was so obvious, is they said, why do we need to be leaders when we have you? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to do your job for you. And I mean, I didn't, I've thought about that question for a year and a half. What would you say would be your answer to that question? Well, I think it's, I mean, and, and we're musicians, right? So the vested, they have to vest in something. They, they have to be invested, if you will. Um, and if we're just going to sit back and let everybody, let everybody else do the work, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't not do that. You have to take ownership. And right. of course, the more, what's the right word? The, the more advanced you are in your thinking, the more you want responsibility. You want it. You want to be the go-to person. And to just, I mean, what does they say? If you turn over all your decisions to somebody else, you can be manipulated. Hmm. Isn't that great? Yeah. And so who wants to be manipulated? I want to have input. I want my, I want my flavor to be in that tapestry somewhere. And that gives them importance too, yes? Right. Instead of just being a figure or a piece of the puzzle, now the humanness is in there for them. They own the choir for you, right? And you get to conduct them. Right. Yeah, the, and this is one of the metaphors that I try to use with them is, um, you know, whatever you do in life, there is a back room where all the decisions are made. And those are handed down to you no matter what you do in life. The question is, is when you get the chance to be in that back room and to help make the decisions that will directly impact you and affect everybody else, do you take the chance? You know, and if we were in a car, yeah, I'm driving, but you get a choice um, and a say of where we go. And I don't know why you wouldn't want that opportunity to have some sort of say. Exactly. It's interesting because there's a lot of people uh, I mean, to be a good leader, you got to be a good follower. I mean, they're reciprocal, right? Um, and they're, they're, as you well know, there's a lot of people go, I don't want to think. I just want people to tell me what to think, which is very dangerous, of course. Right. Uh, because the human, the human mind doesn't particularly like to think. It will. It will. But that's why people put off doing their study till the very last minute, right? Because th th they'll say, as you all know, uh, well, I'm not motivated, but motivation comes after you do something, not before. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We are going to dive right into that. What do I, you mean? Um, they don't get excited about writing their term paper, right? Okay. But after they've written the term paper, they're excited about what they wrote. Yeah. You know, um, you're a musician. There's been times you've had to go into concerts going, oh my God. <laughs> Are we going to make it through this? But then afterwards, you're excited because they did. So that motivation, that energy afterwards has to push you into the next responsibility. You know, cleaning up your office, right? After you've got it cleaned up, you're really jazzed about your office. After yep. you've mowed the yard, after you've waxed your car, after, after, after. And a lot of people are waiting to get in the mood too, instead of doing it and then being in the mood. That makes sense? 
Yeah. So what you're saying is, you know, you may have an action to do to do something without necessarily the feeling, but the feeling does come. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah and, and, and a lot like I would assume love. You know, sometimes you don't feel like doing the loving thing, but if you do the action of loving somebody, you know, after you're done, you feel like you love them. I didn't want to go to church. I don't feel like going to church. I go to church after you're like, oh God, I'm so glad I went to church. Right. Wow. See, that's, and that's, you know, the balance. And I'll ask you this. Do you think, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners and, and watchers, um, they might have a kid in piano lessons or they might give piano lessons or some sort of lessons. What do you think about um, if kids don't want to do piano lessons? Do you think parents should make them? Again, that's just uh, that that is such an individual thing. I don't know that there's a black, white, yes, no about that. It depends on the child, mm -hmm. just like you with your own students, you know, and they go, we treat them all the same. Well, I would hope not because they're not the same. Yeah. yeah. So you know where to push and pull and which ones will take a little bit. And then you got to and you're wrong sometimes. And so um, if, if it's approached right and, and you and I probably agree on this a lot. If music is approached right, kids want to do it. If they understand it's a language and they can say things with it that they probably can't say this way, you know. Um, so again, it's for musicians, I just think like it's a reflection of the teacher, particularly like a coach, team's reflection of the coach. That's why they hire really good coaches because the same members of the team are there, but all of a sudden they start winning. Well, what happened? The only difference is the coach. So now that and you you probably know great music programs and the person left that's been there for I don't know twenty years or so forth and it tanks in a year. Well, what changed? The, the content didn't change. We still count the same. Yeah, it's the person. Yeah, I mean, I th I I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Um. I know when I was at a school, so I've been on two sides of it. Um, when I um, left a school, we had, oh, I don't know, 100 kids in the choir program or 50 kids in the band program. This is like 150 kids in the whole school. And within two years, it was a quarter of what that was. And it saddened me tremendously. Well, so then the school that I um, am at now they had had very strong numbers two years ago and the kids had such a hard time with him leaving that mm -hmm. they have not been able to quite sink their teeth into the ideas that I have yet. Um, just don't like I'm just waiting for this stupid siren that we have every day at <laughs> six o'clock. Almost done. It's every day, every day at six o'clock, when the grocery store closes, the bell goes off across the whole town. It's wild. Um, I love it. Yeah, but but well, they couldn't quite sink their jaws into it, and yeah. so the program has decreased in size. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I'm doing anything different than I was with those hundreds of kids. Um, it just, you know, it just depends on 
you know, transitioning students to where those ones that don't feel so strongly about the teacher have moved on and, and you've raised those ones up, I think. Maybe you could give some insight sure. on that. No, no, you're exactly right. And it's, it's total agreement. People don't like to change. Even when it's for the better, they don't like to change because we're creatures of habit, yeah? Mm -hmm. And so what was somebody said the other day? He said, I've been at the school now three years and the kids are finally starting to get it. No, the kids that didn't get it have graduated. <laughs> All the kids that you have now are your kids. Right. They're of your patterns and beliefs and thoughts and right. So yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it. That's why when, when people change, I don't care how good the new person is. There's always that dip, isn't there? Mm -hmm. There's always that speed bump they have to go over because people don't like to change. And they may not even like the last person, but well, to change, right? It it is different. I've I've found that it depends. There is a total different. Um, it's it's like a a garden, and it, there's if you're replacing somebody that is beloved, um, it is hard to plant a new crop in that same thing. But if you are replacing somebody who's not beloved, I do find that it, the ground is more fertile. They are more open to growing. Um, and I don't know why that is, but it's, it's crazy. Well, it, it depends probably how, how people motivate people when, when, you know, the, the, the kind of motivation at them where they're screaming and yelling at them or twisting their arm or anything like that. They're probably so excited that that's not happening. <laughs> Yeah, that they're gonna follow the new person. <laughs> what would you say is the greatest leadership myth you've ever heard? That leaders are born. Oh, they're they're just a natural born leader, as though at birth some doctor went, "Hey, I got one. We got a natural one." <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's you know even yeah you, you gave me that nice introduction at the beginning and thank you. I'm certainly not the authority on leadership. I I am more confused about it now than I've ever been. Hmm. And each day I learn more and read more and study more and practice more, it becomes even more confusing. So it's a, it's a constant. Yeah. I'm trying to think how to put it so it's really simple. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. So that's why young people, everything's black and white for them in many cases, right or wrong, yes or no, right? It, the lines are very, and as you get older, as you well know, it starts to get gray. It's not black and white anymore, it's gray. And there's exceptions and there's different cultures and that's what makes it fun though. What leadership decisions do you wish you could redo? Well, I mean, regrets are kind of purposeless because you, you can't. I mean, you can apologize and <clears throat> I'm sorry, I wish I hadn't. But it's interesting about, again, about the human creature. You can't unsay something. Like you can apologize and oh, I, I wish I, but it's still there. You know, it's like firing a bullet and then like taking it out and going, oh, I'm sorry. No, there's still that wound. And I think for all of us, I would like to go back. I, I, I inadvertently scarred some people, I think, because I came out of the ilk of teaching where sort of the sterner you were, the better you were, you know, and the more you had rules and regulations and it's my way or the highway. And, and we don't teach as we're taught to teach. We teach as we're taught, you know, we, 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 we mimic our mentors. 
and mind blower. So right I came out saying, channeling some things from some of my teachers that were just cruel. All thinking that the means justified the extremes. Mm -hmm. And it didn't. It didn't. So I would like to fix a couple of those. Yeah. The, the fastest form of motivation is fear. Hmm. Because you know, we're animals and you scare somebody and they'll do probably whatever they want out of threat. Uh, but the, that's extrinsic motivation, right? You're waiting for that person to do it. Intrinsic motivations mean that you have to come forward and that takes a lot more time. And, and you have to develop a trust relationship and not violate that. And it just takes a lot more time. Tim, you just said something that I is another mind blower for me. There's been like three or four of them in this interview. Um, you said fear is extrinsic. And I think sometimes I've thought of fear as intrinsic, but no, it is extrinsic. Yeah. I mean, you scream at somebody, you can get them to do something or tell them, you know, if you don't do this, I'm, I'm cutting off your scholarship or whatever. They'll generally comply, but watch what happens when your back's turned because that's the real key. You know, you, you all know we've had, you had teachers, professors that are very, huh, right? Like this, listen to the language in the hallway after the class. There's the key because that's the truth, right? We all drive the speed limit when there's a cop beside us, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, what advice do you have or encouragement do you have for our listeners today? Encouragement to be in the presence of courage. Um, we live in a society. <laughs> There's another <laughs> one. That in many ways is afraid to try and be wrong. I mean, I'm certain you've gone through this where like, okay, how many of you think blah, 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 who's got an answer? And it's just crickets. Yeah because nobody wants to be wrong. The number one fear of young people is to be embarrassed in front of their friends. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Death, death, Adam, is six on their fear scale. They would rather die than be embarrassed. So the way not to be embarrassed or not to be wrong is to don't do anything, right? But if you look at people that are successful, they've had lots of failures in their lives. The one I read, here's one I read the other day, I knocked me out. This, this gentleman was, um, was kicked out, well, not kicked out, he was put on the side uh, in his music class because he wasn't a good violin player and, and then they put him over there and they tried something else, he couldn't do that. Or, it was Beethoven. Hmm. Beethoven's a failure. You know, Walt Disney got fired from the Kansas City Star because he wasn't creative. Spielberg couldn't get into the USC cinema arts program. He, he wasn't good enough. Spielberg. So I think that's a big thing right there. Where can people connect with you? Oh, you Google Tim. And <laughs> pick up the phone and call me. <laughs> now, um, Attitude Concepts, how would you describe that uh, company? thanks for asking, by the way, was uh, created uh, to do the workshops, to have an umbrella uh, company to, you know, take care of all the finances and travel and blah, 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 for the workshops and the conference speaking and all that sort of thing. So that's where Attitude Concepts came from. The only thing, the only thing I want out of it is to see somebody try a little bit harder, hmm. you know, 
the rest of it's all, I mean, when, after you get so old and you figure something out, the only thing to ever do, and I'm sure you figured this out at your young age, the only thing to do is give. That's all there is to do. Hmm. I mean, once you get this and get that and all the stuff you think is important, and then you realize it's not, but you look at the people, as you were talking about earlier, the givers, you know, the, again, Mother Teresa, I mean, she, she sold her Nobel Peace Prize. She sold it because she said, you can't eat it and people are hungry. And I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Because that's all there is. That's why rich people give their money away at the end. There's nothing else to do with it. So, you know, once you get past the, oh, is it me? All that silliness.